if you have your Bible, we're going to read a lot from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It's not one of the more lengthy chapters, uh, but it's very edifying. And so what we've been seeing in 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing the church at Corinth, and what we looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is that we saw they're divided among themselves. They're listening to the philosophy and wisdom of other people that is causing a division within the body. Uh, and people do that today. They, they find somebody that they think is an expert, someone that they revere. You might have done that as a, a teenager. You might have, or a child. There was some teacher, somebody, or a parent, somebody who, whatever they said, you believed it. And I believe that. I remember my grandfather. I got his Bible in, in my study. And, and I think about him and whatever he said, that was it. I, I loved him and I know how much he loved God and he loved the Word and where he stood. And he stood on, on a solid ground. And I revered him in that way. Now, that can be destructive. On the other hand, if I'm listening and I'm trying to follow whoever's the next person who's speaking more eloquently uh, and happening there in, in Corinth, that the teachers are coming in and not teaching a gospel based and built on Jesus Christ. I know it's been, I think, two weeks ago, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where we looked at building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and there's no other foundation to build on. So Paul's been addressing that. He also said in chapter 2, he said that the words and the things that we teach you come from the Holy Spirit. And what we are learning here is that we have a proper foundation. They, Paul couldn't just pick up the New Testament and the Bible in complete form, because it was being written right then, of course. But he essentially is saying that as far as the foundation of God's revelation and the truth in his word. He's saying, don't follow the wisdom of man. Look how divisive it is. Follow what the apostles of what Christ has taught you. Stick to it and build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, knowing that's what's going to stand in the end. And as we get tonight, we're finishing up the first four chapters that launches us into the rest of 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at more of the problems that happen there in the church in chapters 5 to the end of the book. I think it's going to be, uh, for many of us, it's going to be more engaging. We're going to get a more vivid picture of what is going on here. Whereas in the beginning of this study, some of the things Paul has said is a little bit hard to understand, like Peter says. Some things are hard to understand. And tonight, he's going to wrap up that. He's going to wrap up how we view our church leaders uh, those who are serving and teaching in the church, and what's a good way to perceive them. And he's going to give us a lot of wisdom to move forward actively as far as the church in Corinth and for us to actively move forward as a church. So this is where we begin at. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, this is how, we should, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. What's he saying here? You should expect us to be faithful with God's revelation and what we are giving you. Secondly, you should be looking at us and understanding who we are. He uses the, the word for servant here. Um, that doesn't mean slave. Some have said it meant like someone who rode in the lower, um, lower Roman ships. And there's some discussion on that. But I want you to look at how Paul presents himself and, and Apollos and those who are serving and teaching the gospel. He says, we're servants. We're stewards. We're supposed to be faithful. We're managers. We're supposed to be caring and using God's Word in an appropriate way. 
Well, Paul later in 2 Corinthians, he says, we didn't act like others who came in and were peddling God's word or twisting it or distorting it. We want to teach you the truth. And so here he's teaching, he's reflecting on himself. He says, when you think about those who are leading and teaching in the church, make sure that you have a right perspective, a humble perspective of who they are. Okay? They're just servants. They're supposed to be stewards of God's word. In fact, when you get in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says, I want you to examine what's being taught. That's your job. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 29 is to examine what's being taught. See if what's being taught is true, if it's right. And we should be still doing that today. There shouldn't be one person in the church where it says, where we look at a certain individual and say, whatever he says. And I could list a number of names of men right now. But if I look backwards in history, I'll just use that, I think it's a little bit safer. If we were to promote Alexander Campbell or David Lipscomb and say whatever they said and whatever they taught, I'm going to go with, or, or Gus Nichols or Guy Woods and some other big figures or Marshall Keeble, men throughout the history of the church, um, we need to have a humble perspective of them. Uh, I know that I've read a lot of them and, and they've had an influence on me. But I know the standard is God's word. I'm going to listen to the apostles and prophets and to Christ. And no matter what they say, be comparing them to the truth. And all of this, Paul is saying to unite the church. So there's no division. So the people don't become puffed up. And what happens when you see this in the church? And this happens a lot of times. In some churches, uh, you have a group of people. And sometimes the churches have both of these. Where you have a group of people who are degrading of the leadership. It could be the deacons. It could be the elders. It could be Bible class teachers, and many times the preacher, that they are just put down all the time. There are some bodies where the preachers or the elders are puffed up. To, to people think, oh, they're, they're never wrong, and whatever they say goes. And what we need to do is have a balanced understanding of who they are. Elders, deacons, leaders in the church are servants and stewards of God's Word. They have a responsibility to teach what is right, to, to lead in the right way. And Paul wants this church to have that basic and level understanding. Now he goes on a little bit further here, saying that he's a servant and a steward, and he and himself and, and the apostles, that is Apollos as well. We read this in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3 through 5. But with me, says it is a small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. Now, I want you to listen to what he's saying here. Because a lot of this might sound like someone who has a puffed-up ego today. You hear people say, oh, you can't judge me. What Paul is saying here is that it is a small thing, in contrast to God, for a court or anybody else to judge him. He knows that. He's going to know more about it as he goes on throughout his life of what it is like to be judged. But I like what Paul has here because he has a level head. Some people, when they feel like others are judging them, they begin to degrade themselves and say, oh, maybe they're right. There's so many things wrong with that, first of all. Other people telling you that who you are doesn't really matter or they're they're heavily critical of you, and then you thinking, well, maybe because it's possible then maybe it is right. And then you allow it to pull yourself down. Paul has a very, I guess, a healthy understanding would be a way to put it, of, of how others view him. And he says, in fact, he says, I don't even judge myself. He says, now, if he had something against himself, he would, he would know it. 
And then he goes on to say this, but although I don't judge myself and I don't have anybody else judging me, and if they did, it'd be a small thing. He says, it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring the light, the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart, that each one receive his com- commendation from God. And so sometimes when you get in this discussion or the divisions over leaders in the church, it's, well, I think this guy's heart is wrong. Well, God in due time will reveal that. And if it's not now, in this lifetime, it will be in the judgment. And I think sometimes we allow those things to bog us down and to burden us and to keep us from focusing on the gospel and doing what we're supposed to be doing. I think about that. There are times when I have been in in a congregation and I know this controversy is going on and this is going on and we've got this one man who's trying to stir things up. What am I going to do to it? Do do about that? I'm going to let it um, pull me down? Am I going to allow... Uh, certain judgments of one person or another, even against me, to pull me down and, and keep me from doing the Lord's work. No. And so Christ, as you hear Paul, he, he talks about this and he says, again, I'm a steward, I'm a servant, and it's God who's going to judge in the end. And he warns about this kind of judgment. We're going to look at it a little bit further. But how does the Apostle Paul respond to various opinions and judgments in the church of Corinth? He says, to be judged by men is a small thing. To be judged in the court, also a small thing. And I think a lot of us today, if we were sued or went before court, we'd take that as a huge thing, a burden. I think Paul has the right perspective here. God will judge and bring hidden things from darkness. And God gives the commendation. He recognizes who, have done, who does right, who's living in righteous life. You ever heard someone say, um, God will judge me? They do that to kind of secure their freedom. I'm going to live however I want to. God will judge me. And sometimes they say that to justify their actions. Paul's not doing that here. He's saying this in a way that I know God's going to judge me. And that matters. It matters for all of us. I want you to look right here. I think this is an important verse for a number of reasons. Now that we've gotten the context of what's going on and how Paul wants us to have a humble view even in judgment and in our view of leaders in the church. I want us to look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7. Paul says, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Brothers, that you may learn not to go beyond what is written. That's the name of the, the lesson tonight. Learn not to go beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. You see what's going on there, the division. In favor of one against another. Why? Because you've thought beyond what is written. He says, for who sees anything different in you? Or what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What's he saying there? There's a lot of questions right there, and you really have to think about it for a minute. Paul is saying that everything that you've received has come from God and you have no reason to boast. No man has a reason to boast before God. Some things to think about right here in this text. He says, to go beyond what is written is to judge judge according to man's wisdom rather than by Scripture. And there's two, I think, distinct lessons that we need to take from this. 
We'll talk about one in a moment. But one thing that stands out to me here is Paul says, would you read about us and what we've written to you? Don't think beyond that. Don't think that our motives are something, some other reason or that they're, they're wrong. God, he's the judge on those matters. And so you should learn from us not to do that, not to judge others like this. Now, Jesus just does say in John 7, verse 24, there is a right way to judge, not by appearance, but by righteous judgment, Christ says. We also see this, no one should boast on what they think they know. What you do know, it, it, that is truth, that is based on God's word, that's all from God. And you have no reason to, to boast in it. And everyone who has a, a teaching or an ability has received that from God. Every leader in the church that we see, we've got to realize the things that they're teaching should be from God. And if it is, we recognize that it's God that's behind that. And we give glory to God. We don't puff that person up or think of them too highly. Another thing to think about here in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, and I think it's a very important scripture, is how we handle God's word. He says not to go beyond what is written. I think this is a better practice or a better approach and a better saying than to say silence forbids. Oftentimes, among the churches of Christ, we'll talk about silence forbidding. And I've read many brethren talk about, you know, the, the Bible where it's silent, then those, those things are forbidden. And I've heard some progressives or liberals and some others kind of mock at that. Be like, well, you wear a tie and a jacket. Where's that in the Bible? You drove to church and to a church building in your car and you read from a stack of pages, uh, a codex, which wasn't invented to the end of the first century. And sometimes you even project your lessons up onto the screen. Those things the Bible's silent about. But I want you to notice when I read my brethren who talk about silence forbids, I think they're right. They're hitting on the point. I just kind of disagree with how they're presenting it. And what they're presenting here is that when you start reading what they have to say, and they say, for instance, when we get to the Lord's Supper, can I change it? Can I alter it? Can I change uh, the fruit of the vine to water? You know, there's churches that have done that. Or can I change the bread uh, to some other substance? Or can I add lamb's meat to the end of it? And the truth is, is what is written that we are not to go beyond? And when I read our brethren talk about silence forbids, they often say, well, listen, the Bible's already given us specifics. It's already written it, written about this. So we do not need to go and exceed beyond it. And Paul, actually, what we've been seeing from the first chapter to the fourth chapter, he's given us a whole list of scriptures of why we should not make assumptions upon scripture. Why we shouldn't take things in the Bible and say, okay, here's singing, but I think we're going to get a lot more people in the door if we added instruments to it, add some lighting. Um, we had a big group that got up to, to, to lead singing that way. That is going beyond uh, what is written. It's going beyond what the scriptures say. Uh, same thing with adding to the Lord's Supper. Same thing if, if we say, you know, I think preaching is good, but you know what? I think people would really like to see a show. Let's have a little drama. And we don't see that in the scriptures, do we? We don't, we don't see the disciples going around and putting on skits or doing drama and things like that because that is, those kind of things can only teach so much. They cannot really get in the text like we are doing tonight. And so he says not to go beyond what is written and this principle we see throughout the Bible, as it's continually taught, that we not add or take away from Scripture. The Bible warns against that. 
We see that in 2 John chapter 9. We see it in the end of Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, that those who add or take away from that book, from the book, uh, will receive the curses therein. Let's build on this a little bit further tonight. I want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and a more of a, a humble view of how we view leadership. Look right here, 1 Corinthians 4, 8-13. Listen to how Paul speaks here. He says, Already you, you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. I would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. Paul's using a little bit of satire here and irony. He says, you've become so puffed up that if you go after these, these divisive people, these people have been leading you astray, you've already exceeded us. Look how great you are. And then he takes a very humble stance. Look at this verse 9. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Notice how he humbles the leadership of even the apostles. Like men sentenced to death. You know, I would revere that, that somebody would lay down their life for their faith. But back then, a lot of people looked down upon that. Giving up your life for what you believe in. He says, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our hands. And when reviled, we bless. And when slandered, when persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world the refuse of all things. When you get into 2 Corinthians, you'll see Paul speaks more about that. A very humbling words here. He says, you're looking for these great things in life to become like kings, to become wealthy. You're looking at what the world's standards are and you're not looking at what you should be looking at. He says here again, we have become fools. And he humbles the apostles. So he uses irony and satire here. And this is the humor you find throughout the Bible. And sometimes we see that. It seems to me that there are two types of ways in which people approach when they disagree today. And as far as humor. One is to make fun of it. To mock and to scoff. You hear this a lot from unbelievers. In fact, it's even been spoken among them. If you hear someone who believes in the Bible, you scoff them and make fun of them as though they're stupid and ignorant. And the Bible warns us about such people. You can read about it in 2 Peter chapter 3. On the other hand, we see throughout the Scriptures illustrations, for instance, in the book of Isaiah, where the depiction of worshiping idols. You remember when Isaiah says, you take wood and from that same tree, that wood, you build an idol, but you also build a fire from which you cook your food and warm yourself over. You bow down to one and worship it as though it is God. The irony there, the contrast. And so we have Paul right here saying, here you are wanting to have the world standards to be more like the world, not seeing how humble and what we endure for the sake of Christ. Paul observed that the church would not exist if not for the apostles and what they have done, what they have spoken. We also see here that the apostles um, 
are humble in their circumstances, the things they endured. It is the suffering that we see from Paul and all these Christians, those who say we saw Jesus resurrected and we believe. They demonstrate their sincerity in what they really believe and what they go through. And you can see that. Uh, I've seen elders, I've seen other preachers go through things, go through the hardships, uh, through slander and, and persecution and some of the things we might read right here. And I pray for them and I love them and I see their sincerity because of it. And Paul again makes that point here. We're looking to something greater. And you might be thinking right here as you're reading this, is Paul trying to shame them? Or is he simply trying to present a lowly, true, lowly view of leaders in the church? Look right here, 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16. Paul says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. He says, I love you. I want to correct you, correct your thinking. Uh, the word for admonish there, to guide them in their thinking, to counsel. He says, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. Imitate me. The, the church that began there, I want you to listen. I taught you and you believed. Does that matter? And Paul goes on here and he says, I want you to know this. He says, the teachings that I teach and what we're about to read right here, he says, it's the same in every church. So how is it that here in Corinth, you got one man over here trying to teach something else and another over here teaching their own philosophies and teachings? If we're all teaching the same thing and everything throughout the churches is to be united in the same doctrine, you're not going to have variations. And we see that in the world today. You have Somebody over here says, yes, I believe in the Bible, but I also believe in this. And they blend them together. And they go off and start a church. They're not starting and they're not building on Christ. They're not building the church that Christ built. So Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 16 and 17. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved, sent to you, Timothy, my beloved, and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them every way in every church. He's emphasizing, you know, I'm not varying. I'm not teaching you one thing that's not being taught somewhere else. And he's preparing this church now to receive instruction. Um, two weeks from now, we'll get into 1 Corinthians 5. And there we see Paul giving instruction to discipline a man who is openly living in sin in the church. He wants to give them instruction on how they were, are to maintain their bodies and live in holiness and to stay away from sexual sins. He's built them up to this point that they have a right understanding of, of what the truth is and who they are to follow and to listen to. So today, the church must value Christ's teaching, the apostles' doctrine, more than what is popular, what society is telling us. You turn on the TV today, and especially this month, you have the society telling us that um, we should be libertine in our sexuality and that people are open to express themselves in any way that they want. And as Christians, our plea and our agenda, our focus is to follow God and to be holy as He is holy, to live a holy life. We don't go after those things. We don't even a minute consider that they are right. Why? Because they have no foundation. Why in the world would we just listen to one part of the society? What made them the authority and standard for what is right? 
And you see these things come in and creep in among churches. Why aren't you doing these things? Why aren't you more accepting of, of these things? Well, because there's no basis in it. God is not the foundation of sinfulness, evil, wicked ways. We read about the foundation of truth. And we really see this. The, the problems that come into churches come into our heads and when we evaluate our opinions and what other people are saying greater than God, greater than the apostles, and, of course, greater than Jesus Christ. So some were arrogant, he says there. They're puffed up there in the church. They think so highly about themselves and other people are making them feel the same way. Oh, we agree. You know a lot. And so for that reason, they're not observing the ways that are in Christ. As we finish tonight, I want you to look at this. It's the end of chapter 4. He says it very clearly. He says, some are arrogant as though they were not coming to you. The word arrogant means puffed up, inflated with air in Greek. He says, as though we are not coming to you. They're, they're telling you we're not coming back, so listen to us. He says, but I will come to you soon. If the Lord wills, I will find, find out uh, not the... I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, uh, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? What does he mean there that he's going to come um, and, and expose this, this power? What he's saying here is that it's more than talk. You, you can talk, but you've got to act. You've got to have the ability, the capability to act upon what you're saying. And he says, I'm going to expose it. I'm going to see it. And he says, and he gives this warning to them. How do you want me to come to you? Now, when he says with a rod here, it means like a thin reed. And it is really talking about how a father would discipline their children. Remember before, as he talked to them, he said, my beloved children, I'm your father who's begotten you in the gospel. And he says, I'd rather come to you with love and a spirit of gentleness. It is from here that he begins to t tell them, you need to stand your ground and stand for truth and stand up against this man who's coming into your church and living in open uh, sexual immorality. You need to stand for what is right. Stop suing one another. Stop profaning marriage. Stop eating in idols' temples and having a fellowship with the world. It says stop... Um, degrading the Lord's Supper and dividing among yourselves, those are the things that we're going to build on. And Paul has prepared us from chapters 1 through 4. He's prepared this church to change. If you do anything else with what we've studied so far tonight, I hope that you'll think about this. You know someone in your family, a neighbor, a friend, who is in a church that is divided or going off into strange teaching. How are you going to approach them? What are you going to teach them? Paul has set the example right here. Go back over and you look at 1 Corinthians 1 through 4 and draw from it. These are the things I need to emphasize. Today, oftentimes when you hear of a church being divisive and they bring in a preacher to teach and to give instruction, the first thing he usually does is he lays down the foundation and he says, here it is, God's Word. And he goes back and says, this is the all-sufficient God. And every preacher that I've known who's addressed that, that's where they begin. They said, we're going to go to the Scriptures, we're going to recognize what the authority is. And that is the right approach uh, among the churches and among uh, our many preachers throughout our brotherhood. So the Apostle Paul, he's promised to come to them if it's God's will, and he's going to come by God's power.
he's going to uh, reveal those, the actions of those who have done wickedly in her teaching error. And I have no doubt that he will expose them. In fact, when we get to 2 Corinthians, you really do see that. Tonight, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, your sins have not been washed away. And the Bible promises in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul teaches us this. He says, I want you to go away. Don't be like the sinners and those who are as you once were in this world because we've all sinned. He says, you've been washed from those things. You were once among them. And he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The only way you can be washed in the name of Christ throughout the Scriptures is by baptism. Tonight, if you need to be baptized in Christ to wash away your sins, you can do that. Having confessed your faith and repented of your sins, you can be baptized and be cleansed.